0: Drag is, is is really exercising its superpower and, you know, impacting, and in doing so, impacting mainstream and dominant society while remaining this subversive art form that challenges all kinds of social and gender norms and roles and identity and expression. It's these very transgressions that are evoking and do evoke uh, very strong reactions and emotions and literal actions from facets of the dominant cultures who are heavily identified with the values of the patriarchy and misogyny. And so drag in this way, as far as I see it, is a highly visible and decidedly attention-seeking, intentionally attention-seeking vehicle for calling out these oppressive systems. Welcome to Gayman's Life Lab, the podcast that's all about personal and relationship growth for gay, bi, and queer men. I'm Buck Dodson, a licensed psychotherapist and board-certified life coach. Each episode we explore what it takes to have more of what you want in life, including self-love, healthy relationships, engaging work, and all the joy and pleasure you desire. So thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of gay Men's Life Lab. Buck here. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. I know there is a lot of crazy shit happening out there in the world, specifically targeting LGBTQ folks, our communities, and even more specifically targeting those of trans experience and trans identity and gender non-binary folks, and of course, drag queens. So just want to say that I hope you are taking care of yourself the best you can, taking care of your loved ones the best you can, taking care of those in the community the best you can and and doing your part, whatever, whatever your part is doing your part to challenge that, to stand up to it, to advocate, you know, just do, do your part, even just talking about it, even just listening to this podcast or other podcasts, you know, is, is something. And because there is so much going on in the world related to drag I wanted to talk about drag today uh, and I also wanted to talk about drag for some other reasons which I'll I'll get into later that have a little bit more to do with some, me and some of my own personal work but the the context really of this conversation today about drag and also about camp which I'll define and get into for for those of you who don't kind of know what camp is is that drag and camp are gay superpowers and if you are new to Gaiman's Life Lab, you don't know that I talk about gay superpowers a lot or, you know, if you want to identify as queer superpowers, that's fabulous. You know, I, I haven't talked about these or haven't rather had a full episode in some time. The, the first one I did was back in 2021, which feels like 100 years ago. And I talked about in that episode queer people's capacity to embody and express both the masculine and the feminine. And I also talked about our role as outsiders who push society forward. So we are often trailblazers and social innovators, and it's often roles. These are roles that are chosen for us by virtue of both being rare, but also, of course, because we are highly stigmatized, marginalized, discriminated against and oppressed by the existing social structures. So we you know, have to basically have to create and push the envelope to create new Social systems and structures and ideologies so that we can live freely, you know, so we come out, which is the, the, the first piece of that and that, that evokes strong feelings and thoughts and reactions from all kinds of people and eventually changes, changes attitudes, changes ideas, changes systems, changes structures. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it in it. I, you know, provide more context for how I came. To think about gay superpowers, which was, I was not the first person to think about this in this way. You know, I learned through, you know, writers and and thought leaders and mentors and, and queer elders like Ray Rigoglioso, Toby Johnson, Christian de la Huerta. There are others about, you know, queer and gay social functions or sometimes called spiritual functions or sometimes called gifts. Ray Rigoglioso, who I refer to a lot, as you know, it was my former, was my coach. And he also wrote Gay Men and the New Way Forward, which I reference a lot. And I just think is an amazing summary and breakdown and analysis of what he calls distinctly gay male gifts. And Ray speaks specifically to gay men. But this idea... And the organizing principles with Ray's work talking about gay male gifts or Christian de la Huerta talking about LGBTQ spiritual functions or Toby Johnson talking about our sacred roles that we play in society. The organizing principles is that LGBTQ people have sacred and special and necessary roles to play and contributions to make to healthy societies. And as we as LGBTQ individuals and groups are evolving. And becoming more seen and heard and as we hold more positions of social and legal and political and economic influence you know these these contributions are and our gifts our sacred gifts our special gifts our special and unique perspectives and experiences are impacting society and not just LGBTQ society but the societies we live in I'd like to talk about all the gay superpowers at some point and so I'm kind of taking them you know one at a time one or two at a time and and today I wanted to talk about camp and and drag because especially everything going on in the US right now I don't know if it's happening in the rest of the world I presume it is to some extent but everything going on the rest of, in in the US right now we clearly need to be talking about the power of drag and you know and there are numerous examples of queer people and gay and bi men cis and trans alike as well as non-binary folk who are having an impact on culture and society who we could talk about and talk about their specific gifts but currently to me i just i wanted to highlight the drag artists and members of our community of trans experience uh who are drag artists um who are out in front and who are bearing a lot of the the brunt and taking a lot of heat as they, as they express themselves, as they stand in who they are and who proudly and courageously and boldly you know, live in the world as themselves, as their authentic selves and stand up and say, this is me. This is who I am and I exist, I matter and you need me, you need us. <laughs> in order to have a a healthy functioning robust generative loving society. So that's so much of why I want to talk about gay superpowers so often whether it's in a formal solo episode like this or just kind of referencing it when I interview guests and kind of saying and identifying hey this feels like a superpower of yours because we we need to understand this in ourselves. I don't know you you know you may not have thought About having a special sacred role to play just intrinsically because you are queer or gay or bi or, you know, trans, however you identify, but you absolutely do. So going to talk about camp and drag today, but right from the outset, I do want to make a distinction about the superpowers of drag and the superpower of being gender non-binary or trans identifying, because those are separate, those are separate powers, certainly connected and related because, you know, plenty of drag artists and drag performers and drag queens are of trans experience, but you know, it's, these aren't the same things. So especially when I'm referencing what's going on in the political arena right now, because, you know, there's so much, there's a lot of things targeting drag queens, but it really feels like The subtext is it's targeting trans communities. So I just kind of want to highlight a distinction between those two because there's an entire history and an an entire lineage to trans folks and gender non-binary folks who that does, that needs its whole, a whole episode, which I'll get to later because, and, and especially when we talk about being trailblazers and being out in front and being, you know, pushing society, you know, uh, that re we owe that, or I, you know, I will speak for myself as a gay identifying cis man. I, you know, I feel very much like I owe so much, so many of my, my freedoms and my privileges and how I get to live today to trans folks in the trans communities. So, so, I wanted to just say that. So that's a different, that's a different episode, a different conversation than, you know, talking about drag and talking about camp. So let's get into it. And I want to talk about camp before I get into talking about drag drag to me. And I'll also say I am not an expert on, I'm certainly not an expert on drag. I'm certainly not an expert on camp. I just am, you know, a gay man who happens to really love, love camp and love drag. And I think of drag as an, as one expression of camp and that camp is, you know, kind of this umbrella idea and umbrella kind of style and, and genre, if you will. So, so with that, like camp is hard to define or describe. So as I have before, I'm going to call on the work in words of Ray Rogoglioso, who I mentioned just a few minutes ago from his book, Gayman and the New Way Forward, and it says, you know, camp is a complex and sophisticated response to homophobia that is both a sensibility and form of social expression. So Ray writes, rooted in the minority experience of being a gay man, camp is a filter through which gay men experience and make sense of the larger world. He goes on to quote Richard Dyer from, I believe, Richard's book called The Culture of Queers, uh, when Dyer describes drag as a characteristically gay way of handling values, images, and products of the dominant culture through irony, exaggeration, trivialization, theatricalization, and an ambivalent making fun of and out of the serious and respectable. That's the essence of, of of camp this kind of characteristically gay and i would say queer way of handling values images and products of the dominant culture and doing it in this very ironic exaggerated trivialized theatrical ambivalent way and kind of making fun of it but in both a kind of a serious and respectable way so I, i love camp and camp to me and i i i'm actually kind of missing camp right now you know i my my current life is is in austin texas and you know which i don't know i because austin doesn't necessarily have like a specific demographic area uh, you know for the queer communities i feel like i don't have as as ready or organic access to just like spaces in places and vases that are that feel campy to me, Austin has plenty of camp for sure, but it's just not as like easily accessible as you know. I've I've lived in Chicago, you know, in in the Holstead area in Boys Town. I've lived in West Hollywood. I spent plenty of time in Palm Springs and and New York and in San Francisco, and those are you know. Clearly bastions of, of camp right there on the streets. So I I miss that camp is really misunderstood and, and is often maybe not so much now, but used to be very maligned by some gay men because of its associations with femininity or effeminate mannerisms or speech, you know, and, and actually can, I think for some guys, you know, who who say, you know, oh, I'm not into drag or you know how can I be a gay man if I'm not into drag or I'm not into like you know certain divas and and all that stuff like it can contribute can contribute to this sense of like otherness or I'm not gay enough or or anything like that if you don't resonate with camp, but it's fine that's that's it's not a big deal, but also important to not, you know, judge that or malign it as a, as, as an art form and as a form of expression. Um And as one quintessential piece of gay and queer life, you know, it, it is, but it's not the only one, of course, but it's one that like, I feel very connected to and feel very much like I am feel most at home. <laughs> When I am watching, you know, a campy movie or a campy character or in a space that is clearly very campy, I'm thinking of places in Palm Springs and places in, you know, other cities that are like campy restaurants and and environments. So all this to say, you know, I 100% relate to camp and as, as almost a coping mechanism in terms of humor. So like when I'm feeling and noticing and sensing the negative impacts of of living in a mostly non-gay and heteronormative and queerphobic world like i'm experiencing these days i really reach for camp humor and movies and music and really any experience of camp culture you know one of i'm thinking of one of my first memories of what i would later come to know as camp would be watching auntie mame at my grandmother's house when i was i was probably like 14 and this was my grandmother in dallas and by the way her name was lady earl which is Pretty campy, campy southern name. Of course, my other grandmother's name is Gloria June. So also quite campy, very definite camp undertones, which as a staunch southern Baptist woman, she would not appreciate knowing that her name was quite, it's quite campy. Um, any event, I was just enthralled by Rosalind Russell's name. And I, it was just me sitting in my mom's or my grandmother's living room and it was like a saturday afternoon kind of random time and and i just happened to be like flipping through the channels and stumbled upon this this larger than life character and even though i didn't at the time i didn't think i knew any like gay or queer people except you know i had a a neighbor friend but even then we we weren't yet really identifying so much as gay or queer um and he wasn't like a campy kind of guy, but even though without knowing all that or having any sort of real connection to gay people or, or communities, I knew I instantly felt in watching Mame's character or Rosalind Russell's portrayal of, of Mame, I felt really seen and I felt at ease. I felt like, oh my gosh, like, like obviously she's not even a, she's not a gay man, but she has those like queer and gay qualities and she was in drag. So it was, it was, it was just so like amazing to me. And I just loved it so much. And come to think of it, like being in Dallas with my grandmother and my family, I I can't help but remember also watching, watching the TV show, Dallas, I think it came on on Friday nights. And so my sister and I always would get super excited during the opening credits because it would show, it like scrolled through scenes of downtown and it showed um, there's this one like tower. It's I think it's called a reunion tower in downtown. It's very sort of iconic and has a, a particular, it has this like ball at the top. We used to call it the ball, but I, I don't think it's called the ball. Um, in any event, you know, we just thought it was so cool that we were in Dallas and then we were watching a TV show that had, you know, like scenes of Dallas. And we were like, Oh, we've been there. And uh, we would get so excited, which is not the point of why I'm telling you this. But um Dallas, the TV show was to me like super campy as well. And I remember taking a particularly strong liking to Sue Ellen Ewing, who was played by Linda Gray. And at one point, and I can't remember, you know, what season or whatever she, I just remember her became, she became like an alcoholic and, and really unraveled and yet was always still in like full glam, which I just thought was so fabulous. It was like, I was just really drawn to her, even though she was clearly very messy and clearly struggling and, and not doing, not doing well. But I, I found that, that interplay of the, the struggling yet beautiful and glamorous woman. Who in my case, you know, happened to, you know, she was in Texas and I grew up in Texas. There there was something, there was like an affinity to her and she was married to this jerk, J.R. Ewing, this oil guy. It just all felt very fabulous to me and I, and I loved it. And keep in mind, I mean, I was very young at the time. So this was all well before I was connected to any sort of gay or queer life. So, you know, and of course this is just, you know, this is just one experience or a few experiences of, of what I feel are, are, are campy characters. And, you know, there are so many others and that's what's so amazing about camp and drag too, you know, is that, you know, all of us have our experiences of, of camp and all of us, you probably can think of lots of, characters or movies or or music or shows or anything that that kind of speak to you in that campy way and maybe maybe for you you have a very like campy sense of humor and you draw on on camp in your your everyday life and your every your personality brings a lot of camp forward so it's amazing but you know there are there in there are too many like characters and references and things for, for me to list, you know, excuse me. But I mean, of course there's like Judy Garland and there's like Faye Dunaway's portrayal of Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest, you know, that's like ultimately very very campy. Uh, And then you have movies like Showgirls or, uh, I mean, just so many others. So anyway, there are, you know, lots more camp memories and camp experiences I could think of. I'll mention one other. When I lived in LA and I worked at. The LGBT center, I think that's what it's called now. We hosted a fundraiser because I worked in the the development fundraising department. And the the fundraiser was a staged reading of Valley of the Dolls, which definitely a campy movie, you know, the epitome of camp. And Bruce Valanche read the part of Jennifer, who was played by Sharon Tate. And oh my god, it was so and it was the 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 rest of the folks who were in the stage reading were also like Queer, gay comics at the time and actors and just folks in the industry. And it was just so brilliant and delightfully campy and delightfully queer. And I just loved it. And I just felt so at home. So in any event, I, you know, I mention camp as a superpower just because for us, it is one aspect of our culture that is just very specific to us and it's beautiful and it's in it because it's so it's so smart and it's so unique in its sensibility and it's so nuanced. Um, and I also, you know, for me, there's a protection in it and just the utter gayness of camp and like the experience for me is kind of like going to camp in a way, you know, gay camp where I get to feel free and, and for a moment in time, I get to feel the power of gayness when it's not the minority, when we're not the minority or the other, you know, it's like the same idea of vacationing in a, you know, in a a place like Provincetown or spending time in the Castro or, you know, anywhere in the world that has a, a gay district or a gay neighborhood. There's, there's something powerful when we can go into spaces in places or see mirrored back to us in entertainment or movies you know reflections and images of ourselves um and to me when it's done through the art of camp there's something so powerful about that so um i really encourage you to think about camp in this way as a as a superpower because it it is and it and the you know camp entertains worldwide so it's not limited to just us but i will say like i feel like we we get to own that as with cultural pride so so i'm getting a bit in the weeds here because i really want to be talking about the power of of drag so you know drag really to me is perhaps the most well-known expression of camp and you know i love how drag has become so popular beyond LGBTQI people and places and spaces, drag is, is, is really exercising its superpower and, you know, impacting and in doing so impacting mainstream and dominant society while remaining this subversive art form that challenges all kinds of social and gender norms and roles and identity and expression. And, you know, and of course it's, it's these very transgressions that are evoking and do evoke very strong reactions and emotions and literal actions from facets of the dominant cultures who are heavily identified with the values of the patriarchy and misogyny. So, of course, we're seeing that all throughout the U.S. with these bans on drag in public spaces and you know all of this insane, ridiculous bullshit, which is also frankly quite dangerous so but i'm not going to get too far into that but really this time in in human history you know being lgbtq continues to be subversive and transgressive and revolutionary you do have the power to make your mark because of this and when you do you you can influence oppressive ideas and structures and systems that are no longer serving the the world us or us as minorities, or the majority, you know, and so drag in this way, as far as I see it, is a highly visible and decidedly attention-seeking, intentionally attention-seeking vehicle for calling out these oppressive systems. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it today and really highlight it as a real superpower. So, and I'll start, you know, with saying I'm purely a consumer of drag. I'm I'm an audience member and a gay man who has always loved drag and has always been drawn to drag queens. So when I'm speaking about it as a gay superpower, I'm coming from the point of a fan and really a, a grateful recipient of the art and performance and theater and sensibility of drag artists and performers. Just to give a little history, I've loved drag from my young gay days. I'm not sure about drag in terms of a first early memory, but certainly a game changing moment for me was seeing Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in, I don't know, I guess that was probably like 94, 93, 94. I remember I was 18 and I instantly fell in love with every aspect of that movie. And I had a total crush on Guy Pierce. And thought, I said, Terrence Stamp was hilarious. And then Hugo Weaving was so endearing. I'm hoping I'm getting the names right. And the costumes were amazing and the soundtrack. Oh my God. I wore that CD out. That was when we had CDs. And I also remember taking, I, I saw it and I saw it with a friend. And then I remember going back and taking my mom to see it and she loved it too. So such a, such a fun, freeing, like, Beautiful, touching, endearing movie. And I found myself really spending all of my media time following drag queens and, and some other camp creators and specifically like Delta work on her podcast and YouTube series, Very Delta, as well as Raja, because Raja and Delta have a podcast together called Very That with Delta and Raja. Um, and also, actually, I've been listening to Sibling Rivalry, which is hosted by Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange. And then I've just finished, I think it's called Trixie Motel on HBO Max, which is, of course, about Trixie Motel and her partner's renovation of a hotel in Palm Springs. So um, I've been really kind of absorbing a lot of drag and, and feeling very comforted by by drag artists and drag queens uh, at first I, I didn't really put the pieces together. And I was just thinking that this is what I'm into right now, as far as entertainment, you know, because I've always loved drag and along with stand up comedy, drag shows are like my favorite form of entertainment. So it's not a stretch that I would be spending a lot of my time, like my entertainment time, a lot of my media time, you know, listening to, to drag creators, but considering everything that's going on right now in our country with all, you know, the, the kind of, the vile and violent attempts to banish trans people and to silence gay and queer people and to ban and protect, or excuse me, ban and protest and even, you know, potentially criminalize drag. I realized really what I've been doing is I'm seeking solace in this, this art because of its, you know, distinctly queer sensibility and expression. So I think I've really needed to feel connected to to drag uh for reasons that were a lot deeper, run a lot deeper than just like wanting to be entertained or wanting to, you know, laugh a little bit. I've 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 wanted to feel needed to feel some solidarity and some safety and some just connection with with my community. So I'm gonna reference Game In on the New Way Forward again when Ray is talking about drag. And he places camp and drag within his framework of, of distinctly gay gifts and that are, as he describes them, quote, quote unquote, reinventing manhood. And in his exploration of drag, he makes it clear that he is focusing on one form of drag, which is men creating illusions inspired by and portraying an interpretation of the feminine and or of female or womanhood. Uh, so he, that's not the only form of drag, but this is the one that he was focused on because he was, his book is really about, you know, gay male identity specifically. But Ray writes in his book, drag embodies dualities, masculine, feminine, and reverence parody. When a man dons a dress, applies makeup, puts on a wig and wears high heels, it is an act of courage and solidarity with the feminine. Drag queens may imitate, parody, skewer, and present absurd, exaggerated, and ridiculous versions of womanhood, but the container of drag intrinsically honors its subjects and objects. So really well said. So to me, this this duality and this ability to innovatively, creatively, and effectively challenge the rigid, you know, mask femme binary that is really keeping all of us, and especially heterosexual men, down is an extremely significant contribution of the various lgbtq cultures to challenge the mask fem binary and to be able to do this in a way that is it, it, through art essentially is is brilliant so this this brilliant challenging of the mask fem binary through this this art form or artistic creative innovative beautiful visually captivating entertaining way that drag does it you know it also is a beautiful way for all of us to expand our own expression and to access our inner feminine the the whole idea of gang queer people as you know being able to transcend this this binary and that's whether you identify as transgender or, or not, it's, it's kind of everybody in the LGBTQ uh, space has this gift. If, if you so choose to, to accept it in this power to live in a, a more balanced expression of the masculine and the feminine. And that really has to do with like masculine and feminine energies or qualities or traits. Drag really has this power to help us access our, our divine feminine. And so I wanted to talk about it in that context as well, because, and this is also another reason I wanted to talk about drag as a gay superpower today too, is because it's, it's really very present in my own self-work right now. You know, as I've been doing some really deep exploration of the feminine, you know, my feminine energy, my feminine intelligence and how I express it and also very much how I repress it and have repressed it. So, you know, this includes the, you know, my like what I consider my feminine qualities and energies of creativity, my sensuality, my desire for self-expression, and in a big, big way, my need for a more nurturing, loving energy just in general, and directing that both toward myself and also, you know, to to the world. In In doing this deep exploration, I'm looking at a little bit more of the wounded feminine parts of me that are needing to be honored and needing attention, needing, needing love, needing care, needing to be, to be brought out. So in my self work, that been, I've been looking at that and exploring that and working with, working with a coach around that, working with other teachers, reading about it, just in general, thinking about it because I've, I've, push down and out a lot of my feminine qualities over the years, especially when it comes to my relationships with men and also my relationship to my professional life, which coincidentally is often tied to more of our masculine energy. So, so anyway, this, this connection with the divine feminine and playing with self-expression and, and gender and drag is, is a prominent feature in many gay and queer men's growth frameworks. Uh, and, you know, for those of you who are listening who don't identify as as gay or queer or a man, this is can be for you, too. But what I'm finding is that in my journey right now, I'm getting sort of introduced and and really kind of taken into kind of welcomed into by teachers, by coaches, by mentors, leaders, all sorts of all sorts of people into this Element of gay and queer self work and personal development, and you know a few communities I'm thinking of, Body Electric, which I've talked about before. They, you know they explore the masculine and feminine duality uh, by way of tantra, and and certainly by through working with the physical body and through uh, erotic energy, and then Easton Mountain, which is a, a retreat center in New York that was founded by gay man and they you know host lots of of gay and queer gatherings throughout the year uh, they have a drag closet where people on retreat can you know go in and and sort of have a have a drag night or something like that where everyone just gets to play and play with drag and maybe for the first time that's the first time anyone's ever played with drag maybe it'll be the last time they want to do it but everyone gets to kind of play around with accessing their their inner feminine accessing their inner drag queen and uh, just like letting letting yourself be free of, of these rigid ideas of how you are supposed to express yourself in the world and who you are and so just really tapping into these these qualities and parts and and personalities that live inside you you know is such a powerful such a powerful experience so getting to do that by you know getting going and playing in the drag closet like that's just so fun i'm also thinking of another example of bringing the feminine and bringing drag into gay men's self work my my colleague who is a coach and who I had on the podcast a while back, Mike Iamelli, he talked about mapping sensitivities and he's going to come back on the podcast again this season, but he talks about something called the diva pantheon, what he calls a diva pantheon. He helps his clients access their, their power through creating their own diva pantheon, which I just think is so fun. If you were to think about even without having to know the specifics, like just imagine like who would be in your diva pantheon and like if you were to just channel some qualities about those divas today or you know just throughout your life like how could you really do that because I, you know I like I did that as a younger gay I did that of course a lot with Madonna and other other divas but I've kind of like moved away from that or I did move away from it in my like 20s and 30s and in my 40s. And I what I'm finding is I'm coming back. I'm circling back to that. And in fact, I did. I, I dressed up for Halloween last year as Madonna from her video, What It Feels Like for a Girl. I just thought of it as a Halloween costume. But now I'm thinking about it like, yeah, that was me really wanting to get in touch and access and express this inner feminine part of me and to play around With, with drag to do that. So anyway, all of this to say that drag encourages and inspires all of us to play with self-expression and, and and to do drag. Sasha Valour says absolutely anyone can and must do drag. So drag, you know, there's this accessing of the inner feminine is just challenging the mask fem binary. It's this. It's this theater and illusion and really amazing performance art. But it's also, of course, very much grounded in what I had mentioned at the top, which is how gay and queer people through this particular superpower, it's it's a way that we lead outside of our, our communities. Um, you know, the voices and power and people, power of people, of trans identity and experience as well as drag queens who, whether identifying as trans people or not, are really leading the way right now for a deeper and ultimately, I believe, more influential shift in how queer people impact societies. We're really seeing that right now. And it's a painful thing to be watching. And we've been in places like this before. We've been in times like this before. So it's maybe not for you, you know, if you're of a certain age and of a certain generation, you know, this hasn't been your experience before, but certainly the LGBTQ communities have been through times like this before in some respect where there's just, you know, tremendous, tremendous backlash. And so this is when we really have to call deep on our superpowers of being outsiders who are leading and who are pushing the envelope. Now is time to double down on like, knowing that our societies need us to push them, even though there is backlash and resistance. Clearly the superpower of drag is, is important, more important now than ever, you know? And like the irony is that this country, the U S where I live needs drag mothers more than ever, you know? And yet drag shows are being banned. Like we all need drag mothers, like for sure, you know, and yet drag shows are being banned and protested. If you think about that, like the idea of like we live in this sort of misogynistic patriarchal society that is, you know, just grounded in like fear of the feminine and, and oppression of women and which then translates to drag queens and translates to gay people and queer people. Just imagine like there's this whole idea if we really get into the, the weeds of like human development and psychology, there's a pushback against the mother, the maternal right now in this, this space that we're living in this zeitgeist. And yet. Whenever there's this pushback, that's when you know there's a tremendous need for, for mothering. And I can certainly see that and feel that and sense that in our society right now. There's this just, this really profoundly unmet need for, for a mother and for mothering and for, the, for the maternal and, and for the feminine. Certainly it's just so crazy to see what is happening and to see how like these, these People in power, political power, and these institutions of political power are so terrified of the power and the influence and the impact that drag is having on popular culture, you know, that they're doing what they're doing best, which is to dominate and conquer, you know, it's like kill or be killed in their minds. So when I think about and witness and feel this, these power grabs, I find comfort and solace in the power That drag embodies and a queen's ability to respond to injustice and oppression. Drag just really speaks to that in a powerful way. Makes me think of a, a quote that I read from RuPaul recently. I think she said, but they're wrong because that is our strength. Drag queens are the marines of the queer movement. Don't get it twisted and don't be distracted. Register to vote so we can get these stunt queens out of office and put some smart people with real solutions into government. I loved that. Drag queens are the marines of the queer movement. So powerful. And I think of, you know, of course, I mean, drag queens and the trans and trans women like Marsha P. Johnson were the agents of of massive social change when it comes to when it came to Stonewall, you know, and, and other movements. So our community... And certainly gay men owe so much to the fierce force of, of drag queens and trans identifying folks when it comes to challenging homophobia, transphobia and bigotry. It's a place that to me so clearly speaks to where the power of queer people is being challenged and where, you know, there's also just being challenged because of the power that, that drag in this case is, or in this conversation that I'm, I'm having. Is exercising. So it's just, it's just really interesting. So I am just going to stop there because I've already taken up way too much of your time, but please go out and support your, your local drag queens, your local drag artists, the work of drag performers and content creators you love and see if you can notice, if you're not already the superpower moves they're making and and really consider how you can amplify that in your own way and in your own community and in yourself, like access that as a, as a source of power in yourself. And, and if you are a drag artist and creator and performer who is listening, I I bow to you, I bow to you queen, and thank you for your voice and your art and your contributions. You know, you really have an impact on my life in so many ways. and, And I'm a stand for your work and the mark you're making so so that's all i have for this episode so thanks for listening if you made it all the way to the end i really appreciate it and you know continue to support the podcast as well so like and subscribe do all that share episodes do your do your thing rate and review like and subscribe that's not that's a youtube thing that's not even podcast so rate and review thanks everyone talk to you soon Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Gay Men's Life Lab. If you like this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you use because it helps other gay bi and queer men find us. And if you want more information, visit buckdotson.com or find me on Facebook and YouTube at Gay Men's Life Lab. And remember that personal growth and creating the life, relationships, and work you want is a process. So take one step at a time, rest when you need it, be kind to yourself and others, and ask for help along the way. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.